This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, welcome in everybody to the Utopia Football Podcast, the mailbag episode uh, post week one, heading into week two. H O U mailbag at gmail.com. We'll give that email address out a few times throughout the uh, throughout the episode here today. I am Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast in the mornings on Sports Radio 610. Joined, as always, by our uh, Sports Radio 610 senior Texans columnist and my co-host here, the Hall of Famer, John McClain. John, how are we doing today? Doing great. It's always fun to do the to do the uh, uh, fans, and I'm sure they're all irate, as so many people are. I like to point out I've got a I've got a observations on the Texans column on SportsRadio610.com, and of course I write for GalleriesSports.com as well. All right, there you go. So you can go find that at SportsRadio610.com. Plenty of things to get observation-wise um, from Week One. If you missed our previous episode from uh, Monday, John and I have our four stock up and four stock down, and also our big takeaways from the twenty to twenty tie against the Indianapolis Colts. Hey, John, um, I've got a few people asking about this. So before we get into the specific questions, of course, Monday Night Football, um, I think Lovey Smith's best friend wound up being Nathaniel Hackett, who took uh, all the attention away from Lovey Smith's decision to punt in overtime. Uh, where do you rate Nathaniel Hackett's uh, decision to kick a 64-yard field goal instead of putting the, the game on the arm of his $245 million quarterback? Where do you rank that on the stupidity scale? Well, I think it was way, way, way dumber than Davis, than Lovey Smith not putting it on Davis Mills's arm because we're talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks in history whose specialty is comebacks and a kicker. I think was he one for eight from sixty plus? Yeah, it was not yards. good. Yeah, I mean, look, look, kickers as a whole are not great from sixty-four yards. It's the second longest field goal in history. And he's, he's getting ridiculed locally and nationally as he should. Lovey Smith's been ridiculed locally and nationally. But, man, oh, man, Nathaniel Hackett, you're right there. Troy Aikman's blasting you. The Manning brothers are blasting you. Shannon Sharp on the Manning cast, he's blasting you. This may be the worst game of Nathaniel Hackett's career. Yeah, he probably wanted to crawl in a hole when it was all said and done. It, that was just the classic first game for a head coach. All right, so, John, let's get into some of these questions, Texan-related questions. Again, 
We're going to do a mailbag episode each week that's going to drop on Wednesday morning. If you want to get your questions in, mailbag at gmail.com. First one comes from uh, Wale. Uh, it says, I know it's way too early to analyze the new offense, what it will be like. I don't recall any attempt to pass downfield besides the flea flicker to Brandon Cooks. Is that what we can expect the entire season? Or are we to expect an offense that will not do anything unless the defense does something first? John, your thoughts on week one and attacking downfield and what you think that might look like moving forward? Well, it's just what he said. It's way too early to tell. Last year, Davis Mills was the most accurate quarterback in the league downfield. 20 yards plus, he didn't have that many attempts, but he was accurate. Now, in this game, they got a lot of pressure, but he was only sacked once till overtime, so he got rid of the ball quicker. Uh, I think we want to see him throw the ball down the field without having to rely on a gadget play like the uh, uh, handoff to Burkhead, toss back to him, go deep to Brandon Cooks, in which he underthrew it or it would have been another touchdown. So, obviously, they want to throw the ball down the field you have to loosen up the defense for Rex bleeping Burkhead. Oh my God! Yeah, that's let's hope let's hope that that changes in in week two. I would argue, John, that that the yeah the flea flicker was the only play where they really attacked downfield. It, it was like one of their only long attempts downfield um, in the game, let alone completions. I would submit it was one of Davis Mills' worst throws of the day. Uh, even though it was for a 42-yard completion, because if he throws it anywhere near where it's supposed to be thrown or where it should have been thrown, Brandon Cooks is running down the tunnel with a touchdown in that on that play. Should have been an easy touchdown. Yep, yep. One more follow-up from Wally. This on the defensive side of the ball. Besides Hughes and Grenard, are we going to generate any imposing pass rush? I feel for the secondary already. Where do you think a pass rush is coming from this year, John? Is it Hughes and Grenard and that's it? Or is Lovey Smith going to scheme some things up? I'm guessing when Mario Addison comes off IR and when Rasheem Green is healthy, those guys combine for, oh, I think, like 11 and a half or 12 sacks, which is not a lot, but it's a lot for the Texans. The Texans only had one player, Grenard, with more than that. And if Jerry Hughes, my goodness, he picked up right where he left off against the 49ers. He looks so quick. He's 34 years old, and he looks like he did when he was a rookie with the Colts. So I think if you can get a pass rush from two guys outside, that's good. But they got to generate something inside. It's not coming from Roy Lopez. It's not coming from Malik Collins. That's one reason they got Rasheem Green, who's an end, who moves inside in passing situations. And they played Bing Heine a lot. But he wasn't making plays like he did in the preseason. So I think it's still going to be an issue. And I think next year, if they don't have to use the top pick on a quarterback, one of the first things they'll do is target a an inside rusher and perhaps another outside rusher, whether it's the draft or free agency, when Casario's going to have some money to spend. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, and it just uh, on a broader point, well, first on the pass rush, John, I, I would think too, Lovey Smith did start to blitz a little bit in the second half of that game. He started blitzing throughout the second half of last season to generate a pass rush. He didn't like to do that. That's not his deal. His thing is to try to get guys to win one-on-one -on -one matchups in the front four to generate a pass rush and then have everybody else playing back. But Lovey kind of started to realize the hand he was dealt last season. I do wonder if they're gonna if if they're gonna blitz more than a than a Lovey Smith team normally would. And yeah, I'm with you. I think if they don't have to draft a quarterback, I think maybe one of the areas, maybe one of the very small bits of progress that we see with the Texans this year 
is that next year when the draft rolls around and it says needs, that it won't be everything. You know, the Texans will actually have like three or four positions where you go, no, they need that more than they need such and such, you know, as opposed to you and I were saying and everybody last year, yeah, they can go best player available because they need everything right now. And I'll say this, they better get a center next year. Yep. Because Justin Britt did not play well, and in the overtime, he was terrible. Yep. He he looked like – I went back and watched the replay, John. It looked like on the strip sack fumble, he he did something to his ankle on that play. He came up from the pile holding his ankle, and he was he was janky the rest of the game on, on, uh, on Sunday. But, yeah, I would put center on there as well. All right, Wally, we thank you for the questions. Um, it's just sort of a hypothetical, but maybe highlights how we're all looking at this tie, like through the prism that we're looking at this tie on Sunday. Joseph emails in, Johnny said, if I'd offered you a tie on Friday morning at 8 a.m., would you have taken it against the Indianapolis Colts? Well, Joseph, of course we would have. And if indeed the Texans had erased a 20-3 to deficit in the fourth quarter and tied to uh, in that game, people would have felt really good about him. But the fact is they blew a 23 lead in the fourth quarter and people did not feel good about him. Now, from going back like Sean and watching the replay, the offense was pathetic in the fourth quarter and overtime. Pathetic. The defense had been worn down. I don't blame Lovey Smith for having no confidence in his players at that point because they haven't given him any reason to be confident. And it's easy for us to say, okay, you lose. It puts you closer to high draft choice. You know, he's going to do what he can to get a half out there and he can accept the criticism because he's had a lot in his career. But still, you like to see a guy be aggressive. And if it doesn't work and you get up there and say, hey, I want to try to win. I want to be aggressive. I know we were struggling, but I had confidence in my players. And I don't think a lot of people are going to dispute that. But in, and you can imagine Indianapolis, they're ready to jump off the ledges. My God, yeah. they tied the Texans and they're yep. lucky they didn't get beat. Yeah, nobody felt good walking out of the stadium, like neither side. That, that was truly a tie, John, where both teams felt like they lost the football game uh, on, on Sunday. All right, let's keep it moving with the mailbag. Joseph, we thank you for your question. This one is from Dave who's a loyal podcast listener up in Buffalo, New York. How about that, John? We've got somebody in Buffalo, New York, where they have the best team in football, and they are downloading and listening to a Texans podcast because well, they love I, the Utopia <laughs> football podcast. Well, thank you very much, Dave. I'm assuming you're from down here and you've been displaced up there because if you are from up there, I'm guessing you can't tell anybody that you're a Texans fan in public. I know Dave in Buffalo, John. He listens to and calls into my CBS national show. He is from Buffalo and lives in Buffalo. He's just, he's a fan of you and I. So he's. Well, he, thank you, Dave. Yeah, thank you very yeah. much. This is where, this is where you can't just stick a couple of monkeys in these chairs, John, to do the Utopia football podcast. Dave is tuning in for Sean Pendergast and John McClain. Here's his question. After week one, is it fair to say that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are in, on another collision course to meet in the playoffs are they john it's week one is the week to overreact buffalo and kansas city clearly one weekend have separated themselves from everybody in the afc do you expect that this is what the season is going to look like in what is a very very deep afc dave you know from one game you can't tell jack squad about what's going to happen look at the packers last year i was looking at the other day that 
teams that lost their first game and got blown out that won the Super Bowl. Patriots were in there a couple of times. So considering the Bills were the favorite and they went to Los Angeles and just obliterated the Rams, that's great for the Bills. The Chiefs showed they don't miss Tyreek Hill at all. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is healthy and looking good again. And Mahomes spreads the ball all over the place. I want to see what Justin Herbert does Thursday night. What if he outplays Patrick Mahomes and they beat the Chiefs, then we're going to be singing a different tune next week. And if I'm the Bills, based on what the Titans did, I'm feeling a whole lot better about that game. Yeah, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. But it, John, I mean that really was impressive for both of those teams. You know, obviously Buffalo against LA, but Kansas City. I think you know people weren't coming into this season waiting for Buffalo to fall off. They were the AFC favorite coming into the year. I think with Tyreek Hill gone and maybe, you know, just the normal inertia of a team that's kind of, you know, Kansas City is losing more pieces than they're than they're adding and spending money on right now. You know, they're kind of at the back end of the spending arc that everybody was kind of waiting and hoping that Kansas City would fall off. Again, it's one game, but wow. I mean, what a statement to go into Arizona and do what they did in week one. That was pretty, pretty impressive. I think Arizona is going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Cliff Kingsbury is going to get fired. And as a football fan, I would love to see the Bills and Chiefs play again because that was one of the greatest games I can remember watching, and I've been watching since 1960. What happens? Okay, if the if the if the Cardinals are one of the worst teams in football this year, do you think JJ Watt agitates for a trade at trade deadline time? <laughs> Is Jack Easterby working out there? I don't mean yeah 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 exactly exactly yeah no I, but you know JJ he's, you know, not getting any younger. And if they're, you know, if, 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 if around the trade deadline, the Cardinals are, you know, two and six, something like that, I guess is, you know, JJ's probably not dealing from the position of strength that he was when he was closer to being an all pro, but man, that signing John, that, that destination always felt weird to me from the day he revealed that Cardinals shirt, that Cardinals workout shirt, that this signing has felt weird since day one for me. Through about 10 games last year, he looked pretty smart. And then Kingsbury had his annual swoon at the end of the season. And uh, J.J. here, knowing what this turmoil this organization was going through and how the rebuild was going to be massive in the last years, that's why he went to the McNair family and has to be released. At least he's out there in the desert in a great city. Uh, and And I don't think, when I say one of the worst teams, I probably should have said one of the worst, one of the biggest disappointments. Yeah, one of the worst teams the that everybody so high. One of the worst teams that everybody thinks might be pretty good this year. Yeah, yeah, I should have put it like that. There you go, Dave. We thank you for the question, and we thank you for uh, checking in all the way up in Buffalo. Enjoy the season. Uh, although this won't be the last question he sends in, I'm sure. Derwin, another loyal listener to Sports Radio 610 and to this podcast, and also a loyal Texan fan. Shout out to Derwin who. Always stops by in Bud Light Plaza to say hello to us on Texans Countdown. His question, John, he's got a couple of them here. Bill O'Brien's view of rookies was not that good. Is this a Patriot thing, bringing Kenyon and Damian along slower than normal? John, do you get a Casario handling Casario handling rookies like O'Brien would have vibe uh, this season? Yeah, it's the Patriot way. You know, they're to be seen and not heard. Now, those guys were brought along slow because of injuries. You know, Stingley was coming off at Liz Frank. Well, he says he, he 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 brings up Ken, the two he brought up were just to be clear were Kenyon Green and Damian Pierce. Oh, um, Pierce! I thought he brought Stingley. Yeah, uh, yes, on Pierce and Kenyon Green got hurt early in camp. 
he was out of shape, and then he got a concussion. So if it hadn't been for that concussion, he would have been playing more, and he would have started the first game. And Justin McRae was in there a lot in this game, which that means Kenyon Green is struggling somewhere probably in his pass protection. But I thought the offensive line overall was terrible, so I gave him an F on my report card mm. that's on uh, sportsradio610.com. Uh, yeah, you know, John, just uh, my two cents on the rookie thing. Look, they slotted Derek Stingley and Jalen Petrie as starters on this team from the time they were putting a depth chart out, from the time that they were actually lining up in ones and twos and threes in camp. Petrie and Stingley have been with the ones the whole time. I I don't know. I, I I feel like this is one of those things that if you feel that way, that like it's a Patriot thing, just a blanket, you know, broad brush. Hey, it's Casario, and this is how the Patriots do it, and he's doing everything like the Patriots. I would submit that if that's if the feeling is that the Patriots always bury rookies no matter where they're drafted until they work their way out of that, then I would say he's not entirely like that. You know, Stingley and Petrie, and I think Lovey Smith is a coach too that's not afraid to praise rookies. O'Brien, you had to use the jaws of life to get praise out of his mouth on uh, on rookies. I, I do think that that Casario and definitely Lovey are different. They they view rookies. Different. They don't view it like a fraternity where there's some sort of weird hazing process to get them into the mix, you know? Casario was like O'Brien. You ask him about a rookie, he talks about the position. Yeah. But, Nick, tell us about the rookie. What did you like? Well, you know, we got a lot of players. He just doesn't like talking about the rookies. Don't know if he doesn't want them to get a big head. But I've never seen anybody like O'Brien bury him, and uh, that's the way Belichick liked to do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Derwin wants to know what our favorite movie of all time is. John, what's your favorite? I think people want to know that from you because they know you're a big movie buff. What's your favorite movie of all time? Derwin, this is what I would say. I asked this question. I'll ask it to Sean. Yeah. If you were marooned on a desert island for the rest of your life and you could have one movie to watch over and over, what would it be? Mine would be The Godfather. If mm. I had to pick a second, it would be Godfather 2, and a third would be Pulp Fiction. Oh, look at you, John. A lot of blood in those movies. I I like movies with blood. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. But that, that that movie, those movies will put you in a certain kind of mood. John, I would say that I would be, if I was trapped on a desert island, I would say Shawshank Redemption for sure, because it would give me inspiration that someday I would be able to escape that island somehow, some way. I know it's not prison. It's an island, but... And plus, Shawshank Redemption is an incredible movie. Yeah, or you'd see Morgan Freeman come walking along carrying That's it. his fork coat. Yes, exactly. And I would just be work, sitting there working on my boat that I should use to get off of the desert island, but I want to act like Andy Dufresne sanding it in the middle of nowhere in Zewataneo. Um <laughs> And then I would probably say tied for second would be all of the Rocky movies. Just give me the entire box set of the Rocky movies and I'm good to go, including even including the one everybody thinks is crappy, Rocky Five. Rocky Five is a very guilty pleasure of mine. So there you go. Star Wars also. All right. Um, we appreciate the questions, Derwin. Uh, hey, John, Debbie the Texan listens to our podcast. Well, good. I retweet all Deb. 
let me see how I say it. Not old Debbie. Yeah. Oh, O-L apostrophe. Yeah. Or O-L-E, not yeah. Olay. Old Debbie. Yep. Uh, a lot. I think she's a hoot. And her devotion to the Texans win or lose is just uh, phenomenal. If I had a dime for every time she shows up on the Jumbotron, I would have a big stack of dimes right now. She gets <laughs> she gets a lot of camera time. Um, here's what she says. I don't even know if this is a question, John, but this is just Debbie the Texan. Uh, doing a little venting. I want to know why some fans can't give the Texans a break. Improvement is improvement. No one predicted we would even come close to a tie. And don't even get me started on leaving early. True fans stay until the end. Hashtag I said what I said. John, it's, what did you think? It, it's amazing the way fans left before the game was over. And when overtime, it was despicable, disgusting. Despicable that they left when the Colts got into field goal range. Despicable, huh, John? Despicable and disgusting. Wow, that's a those are strong statements, John. Overall, aside from the fans that were filing out when the now unemployed Rodrigo Blankenship, who got cut today, by the way, missed a forty-two yard field goal. Um, how did you think the crowd was overall? Just the, not not end of the game, not when they were despicable and leaving the game, as you just said, but over the course of you know beginning to end. How do you think the crowd was on Sunday? There weren't as many people as I thought would be. I was a lot of empty seats. We talked about it up in the press box. But the fans who showed were in it. You know, you knew the Colts were not going to be a team that was going to have a lot of fans there, like the Browns will, like the Eagles will, like the Cowboys. Well, they don't play the Cowboys. Who's the other in it? Oh, the Commanders. Ah, they're not going to have any fans there. But uh, – and maybe it was Colts fans leaving. I just saw a lot of people. I was at the back of the press box, and I watched them uh, come out and walk down Murworth. And I'm like, where are you going? The mm -hmm. Texans have a chance to pull the biggest upset of the weekend in the NFL. But that's the way the fans in Houston are and always have been. Now, Landry Lockard say, hey, you left a no-hitter. No, I didn't. He's giving me a hard time because you and I, the Verlander game, I said, we saw him pitch. We saw him get pulled. We saw Correa uh, get the hit. And then I lied and told him we watched a lot in the uh, Diamond, Club. Uh, Diamond Club on the big screen. <laughs> well, John, people listen to this podcast are going to find out that we were lying or that you were lying when you said that. But, uh, yeah, we'd, we we made a pinky swear at that game that we would stay until the uh, – until the who was he pitching against that night? I forget. Oh, the Twins because it was Correa. Yeah, until the Twins got a hit. And then Correa broke up the no-hitter. Yeah. Landry. Traitor. Yeah. I mean, you get up at 345 in the morning, bro. Yeah, I was trying to be nice for you, even though you didn't complain about it. I'm thinking, my God. Yeah. You can't sleep three hours because we're going to watch nine innings. That's right. That's right. You were my ride. That's You You were my Uber that night. And I still owe you a tip for that. Uh, all right. Let's 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 keep going. I We knew we were going to get a question about this, John, so let's just put it out there. This is from The Lead, The Lead at H-O-U, uh, The Lead underscore at, uh, at The Lead underscore H-O-U on Twitter there. Um, assuming Burkhead is RB1. God, I throw up in my mouth just reading those four words. Assuming Burkhead is RB1, which week do you all see Damian Pierce finally taking the majority of the carries uh, for this football team? Sunday in Denver, he's going to get the majority of the carries. Next time, the lead, uh, put your name on there. Okay. <laughs> yes. Put your name on. Um, uh, Lovey seemed to be issuing a mea culpa about his use of Damian Pierce this past weekend at his Monday press conference. Did you get that same sense, John? 
Well, let's be honest. Pep Hamilton ter- determines everything on offense, including who plays, what the formations are, what the calls are. So if Burkhead's in there, it's because of Pep Hamilton. Okay. Um, let's see. This is from uh this is from Matt Kasecki. Um, let's say you are hypothetically Nick Casario preparing for next year's draft. The Texans finish an uninspiring season of 4-12-1. and one. An improvement on last year by a half a game, he says. <laughs> it looks, which is factually true, um, statistically true. Uh, it looks fairly obvious that Davis Mills should not be the QB moving forward. It appears there is one QB that is a cut above the rest and the likely number one overall pick, while the others are likely better than Mills, but maybe not by a significant margin. How do you weigh your options if you, say, have the pick four or five and the Browns pick is somewhere in the mid-teens, kind of like last year, John. They were picking third, and they were picking 13th going into the draft. Let's say they're picking 5 and 15, but they want a specific quarterback who they have at the top. They're going to have to start packaging picks together if they want him badly enough. It's say, if it's, say, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, I would imagine, right, John? And a Kentucky quarterback. And just because Bryce Young had one great drive against the UT doesn't mean he's going to be the first pick. Scouts still think C.J. Stroud is going to be the first pick. And uh, what's the guy Kentucky's name? Will uh, Levis. Will Levis. That guy looks pretty good, too. Anthony Richardson, who everybody was praising after the first game, had a bad game. But we're so far away from them evaluating the quarterbacks we don't know. But if they target somebody they like, they got to do what it takes to get them. And hopefully they will like more than one so they won't have to pay as dearly. John, Seth and I are doing something throughout the season every Tuesday that we call the Davis Mills Replacometer, um, where we kind of just go like if the draft, if the season were ending this week and the draft were, you know, a month from now or whatever, would we be, what would our, what would our um, desire for them to draft highly draft, not draft in the fifth round, but like draft use one of those two first round picks on a quarterback what would it be right now? Scale of one to 10. One being Davis Mills is our guy. We don't need anybody. 10 being swap him out today. I was at like a little, I'm at like a, still like a little round of seven right now with Davis Mills as far as them needing a quarterback next year. Where Where is your Davis Mills replace-o-meter right now? One to 10. I'd say eight because you can't not complete a pass in the fourth quarter yeah. and you can't get sacked twice. Now, the offensive line was awful. You know, Titus Howard had a penalty in overtime. Uh, Justin Brett had a penalty in overtime. You know, those guys, Laramie Tonsil missed that block. Those guys got to do better. But right now, based on the fact that Mills didn't do squat after the fumble, I would say an eight. I mean, this plays into – this will be our last question, John, and then we'll we'll get up and out of here. Um, Randy from Cyprus. Take a look around the league and see what the second-year QBs did this past weekend and take a look at what they did last season. Can we say right now this date that Davis Mills, as of right now, is the best quarterback out of the class of 2021? Well, Justin Fields uh, Justin had a 2.7 rating at halftime through two touchdown passes and beat the 49ers. Trevor Lawrence got beat. You know, Zach, Zach Wilson's hurt. Um, Trey Lance, Trey Lance Trey lost Lance to Justin was, Fields. Mac Jones, was, Mac Jones is hurt now. So the truth is, he played better than any of those guys, even though it was a tie. I mean, his rating was ninety-eight point nine, two touchdowns, no interceptions, only one sack till overtime when Quiddy Pay got him two times. And so I would think that right now Mills is the best of that group, but everybody else around the country would put him sixth. 
<laughs> yeah, no, right. Just based on draft perception. Yeah, I, it probably, honestly, John, it probably says more about the overall class than it does Davis Mills that he's at the top of this heap right now. Boy, if, I mean, if this, this is a big year for all those guys we just named, you know, the, a lot of these other younger quarterbacks in previous years, they were starting to, they, they, if they weren't getting it as a rookie, they were getting it in year two. You know, Joe Burrow got to a Super Bowl in year two. Kyler Murray was, uh, you know, he, he was a pro bowler by year two. Deshaun Mahomes Watson. Mahomes too shabby. Mahomes was an MVP in his first year as a starter. You know, it's it, Josh Allen, year two. They made the playoffs. You know, they, they, we're looking at a class full of guys right now that, you know, you're looking at uh, Lawrence with the Jags, Wilson with the Jets, uh, Fields with the Bears. I mean, those are viewed right now, by and large, as three of the worst teams in football. And Trey Lance is closer to getting replaced by Jimmy Garoppolo than he is to taking the 49ers to the playoffs. And as you mentioned, Mac Jones has a bad back right now. And Davis Mills is the Texans quarterback, and the Texans are viewed right with the Jets and the Jags. I, you know, I, I I don't know which of these second-year guys pulls this pulls their team and themselves up out of the nosedive right now. This has a chance to be one of the more catastrophic group of quarterbacks ever drafted. Five of those guys are drafted in the top 15 in their draft. The one that has to play is Trevor Lawrence. He's mm -hmm. supposed to be a generational talent. And some of it has to do with the coaches, the systems, the players around him. And, Sean, you brought up something that that uh, reminded me of something. And for everybody listening and you, you mentioned Josh Allen went to the playoffs in his second season. He went to the playoffs and he lost to the Texans in NRG Stadium. And the Texans went to have Patrick Mahomes down 24 to nothing. And – the Chiefs and the Bills have gone straight up, and the Texans have gone straight down the toilet. Yep, yep. 2019 seems like 20 years ago. It does indeed. It does indeed. It would be nice to get back to some semblance of what things looked like heading into 2019 as opposed to heading out of 2019 into 2020. All right. Uh, so that's it. We appreciate everybody who sent in questions. If your question didn't get read, that's okay. I save ones that are not time sensitive that we can use down the road if need be. But if you want to mail in, if you want to, if you're listening right now and you want to email in and hear your question, the more games that start to stack up for the Texans, the more relevant these questions become. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. John, any final thoughts on anything here as we bow out? Um. The Texans, if they play four quarters instead of just three, they can be competitive in Denver. The Broncos didn't impress me in that game. What they did against Geno Smith in the first half, now they average five yards of carry rushing. Texans can't run. They can't stop the run. This better be the game in which we say this is Damian Pierce's coming out party because if they can't run, Bradley Chubb is going to be all over Davis Mills. There you go. All right. So that's John. You just gave it's like you just played the trailer for tomorrow's podcast because you and I are going to do our preview and our uh, our pregame six pack for the Broncos and the Texans to, in tomorrow's episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. So that was a good little trailer you just gave right there to kind of preview some of the things that you and I will be talking about as we dig into Denver, dig into the NFL weekend in week two. Week one was a wild one. It was a crazy one. And it was certainly crazy at NRG Stadium. And hopefully uh, just as crazy and just as competitive uh, in Denver this weekend. All right, so mailbag is done. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. We thank Figgy Fig for producing and editing this podcast and making sure that you guys have it in your downloads uh, early, early Wednesday morning. Um, John, it was enjoyable as always, my friend. 
I can be read on on uh, sportsradio610.com and gallerysports.com. Thank you very much, Sean. All right, John. Look forward to chatting with you on Sports Radio 610 uh, as well for your weekly visit. 8 a.m. on Wednesdays, John McClain joins us on Payne and Pendergast. For the Hall of Famer, John McClain, and for Figgy Fig, I am Sean Pendergast, and we are out of time. We will see you all Thursday for the next Utopia Football Podcast preview of the Texans and the Broncos. Have a great day, everybody.